Claudine Hemingway is a descendant of famed writer Ernest Hemingway. We bumped into each other at a party and decided to team up and dive deep into French history, but with a twist, by bringing a spotlight to those lesser-known creatives in France. This is History with a Hemingway. Welcome back to Paris History Abigail Hemingway, and today we talk about the Cardinal's playwright and an English king. We're mixing it up today, and I'm going to let Claudine take it from here and give us more information. Yeah, this is another one of those little ones you could kind of take with you and walk around and check things out on your own. It's going to start at the backside of the Palais Royal on the northern side at the uh, Rue de Beaujolais that was named for the count, not the wine. Um, it was the son of Louis-Philippe d'Orléans and in, and in the line of Louis IV and Madame de Montespan. So his father was one of the legitimized children of Madame de Montespan, which we talked a lot about a couple of weeks ago when we talked about the poison affair. Ah, yes, one of our favorites. Yes, we love all those. Um, at number five, when you're standing back there and you're kind of looking back towards um, towards into the Palais Royale, and there is a little tiny colonnade. And at number five, from 1949 to 1965, was where the Milor uh, d'Arsoy uh, Club was. And this was the first place that Serge Gainsbourg ever performed on stage. Wow. And it was later the song, um, title of a song that Edith Piaf covered, Milor. Oh, very cool. Yeah, which, you know, when you hear that, you know, you've always, you could, I just instantly see that word and hear her song singing in my head. Um, at number nine, right above that, we've talked before about Colette that lived there until her death was often seen coming down the stairs, being taken to the Grand Vefour. And then at number 15 is where Jean Cocteau lived. Um, and he and Edith were often seen out there in the garden. Oh. Um, on the opposite side of the street, so across the street from the Palais Royale, at number 10 is um, the official Napoleon store. So if you're in Paris and you want any sort of official napoleon uh gift to bring back to people that's the place to do it ah nice it's it's actually like really expensive collectible stuff this isn't like you know one of the tourist places on the route of rivoli like they have i mean they have some things in there like the playmobil um napoleon that i got at the big exhibit a few years ago yeah Um, but they have some really, really cool stuff in there. And I popped in there one time. It used to be located over a little bit closer um, to the uh, the Passage Vivien. Mm-hmm. And uh, they have some really cool things in there. And the people in there take it very seriously. Very seriously. <laughs> very seriously. Um, if you go up and around the corner, there's the Rue Vivien, um, which is a, if you take a short, quick left at the Rue des Petits Champs is what I've talked about before as well, is Willie's Wine Bar. It's one of my favorite restaurants. It's fantastic to check out, and it's really fun to look at their huge collection of the posters they do every year that is uh, that they do with different artists. It was the first of its kind wine bar in Paris that was opened in 1980 because it served food. So oh. now when we think of like wine bars like Le Bon Comtois and stuff like that, Willie's was the first one that kind of did that. That's very cool. It's really cool. And the the posters are really awesome. And I had always said that when I move here, I'm coming to get one. And a few weeks ago when I was there, Mark, the owner, gave me the one that I've always wanted. And it's hanging right behind me. I love it. I love it. Um, the Rue Vivienne itself was named for Louis Vivienne, 
who was the mayor of Paris in 1599 and the family that owned a portion of the land to the east of the Bibliothèque Nationale, uh, Rue Vivienne, which would also be the Passage as well, was the first Roman road that went through Paris to Saint-Denis and would have seen the king venturing past, um, going from the Palais de Louvre when he would go up towards Saint-Denis. Aha. Very cool. To the left of Rue Vivienne was the home um, of the Cardinal Mazarin, um, he's the first cardinal we'll mention. It was he, and it was just a bit farther down from the home where Jean Baptiste Colbert lived. Here, because you are so close to Palais Royal, which was built by Cardinal Richelieu, um, so the entire area was filled with all the powerful men of the court under Louis the Thirteenth and Louis the Fourteenth because they were so close to go down to the Louvre to meet with them. It was in their best interest to live very close to him. Uh, that makes sense. You know, because if he wants you and you, you know, it's not like they don't call you on. They couldn't call you on the phone back then. (laughs) (laughs) You you know, and the kings, the way the kings were, if if you weren't there to take care of it for them, they would easily find somebody else. So you could be out of a job and out of your big fancy house before you know it. (laughs) Um, He the Mazarin had this huge palace built in 1635 to hold his art and books that went to Louis XIV after his death. His book collection now is just over the Seine in the Institut de France, um, which is cool. And I, um, you could go in there and actually check it out. And you could actually go in there and buy a pass for the year to use the Bibliothèque, which is what I have, even though it's a short walk from my apartment. But it's just cool to be in there because it's some of the oldest books in the entire country. It's beautiful. Yeah, It's gorgeous. Um, in 1721, the building was turned into the National Collection of Books and Other Treasures of the, Fe- the French State. The museum just reopened this last fall after more than seven years of work that has been closed. We'll have to check that out. Yeah, it's really, really cool. Um, at the end of the BNF building, the Bibliothèque Nationale, is a plaque for somebody named Edward Leon Scott de Martinvay, who was who died on April 26, 1879. He, invi- he invented the typographer and invented the very first machine that could record sound 17 years before Thomas Edison did it. What? Yeah, pretty cool. At number 17, Jean-Baptiste uh, Lemoyne de la Belleville, was the founder of New Orleans, Louisiana, and died there on March 7th, 1767. Oh, wow. I know. I was like, what did, what's he doing dying there? Didn't, yeah. Wouldn't he have gone to New Orleans? Yeah, heck. <laughs> um, at the intersection of Vivienne and the Rue de Quatre Septembre is a former stock exchange. Um, this is a massive building. I know that you know it. A huge colonnade. And I get people all the time that ask me what it is when they see it on pictures online, because it's not, you know, it's not a a museum and you can't really go in it. Mm -hmm. Um, The force was built in 1808 under Napoleon by Alexander Theodore Roginard. Prior to that, the stock exchange moved around multiple locations, including seven months from May 10th to December 13th, 1795, when it was in the Palais de Louvre. Yeah, very cool. So when I was doing research about this, I was like, well, how many stock exchange? Like it was moved all the time. Um, the stock exchange lasted there from November 6, 1826 to November 6, 1998, before it was just moved to one European location in Belgium. Yeah, I got to photograph the inside for the Paris Peace Forum. It's pretty wild in there. Yeah, it's really close. Yeah, so now it's a rental event space um, and they do trade shows and weddings and other events. They do the um, the 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 uh what is it the sketches 
the the prints and drawings event that's every October or November. Um, And so it's a, you know, sometimes you go to those kinds of things just so you have an excuse to see inside the building. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Yeah. But it is really cool. I mean, you never see it really open. There's always a market out in front um, and it's just kind of in an area where it's a lot of businesses. So it's actually kind of not really in the tourist tracks Mm -hmm. of where you're going around there. Yeah. Um, just off the side street is a rare example of revolutionary construction. The Rue des Colons was built in 1792 on what was once a private road. The 36 Doric columns were inspired by the Temple of Poseidon in Greece. In 1826, the Rue de la Bourse cut through and one of the buildings was rebuilt in 1996, but the columns were saved and it looks exactly like the other ones. Um, after the Rue de Quatre Septembre named um, the start of the Third Republic, the that was on September 4th, 1870. So that is where the, because when I first arrived to Paris, this apartment I stayed in there was very close. And the day I arrived was September 4th. Oh, wow. So I really felt like it was meant to be, yeah. <laughs> obviously. obviously. In 1779, uh, Marin Confote de Stork was working on the, his almanac of Paris. Um, and was very frustrated that he couldn't give a more pinpointed idea of locations of buildings. At first, he counted street lamps to note on addresses saying, you know, at the third street lamp after the corner is where the, you know, where the glasses shop is. Mm-hmm. When that didn't work, um, he decided in the dark of night to go to this uh, street on Rue de Gramont in the mm-hmm. second and he started to paint his own numbers on the doors. So he started on the left side and he did it one building after another, one, two, three, four, and they came back around. So say the 20, 20 was the, you know, highest number on the street on the left of the street would be one. And on the right, the street would be 20. Ah, weird. So now, you know, it's one, you know, like the odds are on one side, the evens are the other side. Mm-hmm. But this also explains why, you know, a lot of times when I'm putting together the live walks on Sunday, you and if you remember when we were doing them, it's never like, OK, sevens on the uh, one side. And so eight must be on the other side. Sometimes sevens on the one side of the street and across the street is like number 42. Yeah, yeah. Which is always gets kind of confusing. But now this makes sense to me. <laughs> um, <laughs> Grandma changed into um, it changes into Rue Saint Anne. Um, but the the whole numbering of that, because it went back and forth, then it was Napoleon that uh, set a law that what how the numbers had to be done on the street. They started the Sen. And so this is actually really good to know when you come. And I always think of this now. One was always going to be closest to the Sen going north to south on both sides. So if, you know, so obviously it goes other directions. So when you're on the right bank, it's one starts at the sand and goes up. And then on the same thing on the left side, it goes down. Um, but he was the one who did it. So saying that these all had to be numbered. There are some teeny tiny villages in France that still did not number the buildings on their street until 1997 when they were forced to do it. What? <laughs> but some people thought, well, that's how they want to charge us taxes. Ah. Because that's how they'll find you. Yeah, yeah, it makes sense. But it's still, it's funny because like, you know, if you're going to tell somebody to come meet you, you might just still say, even though we all have GPS on our phone, you might say, 
oh, I'm going to be at the, you know, Place Colette. When you go down the street and you get past the, you know, the fancy metro stop, that's where I am. You don't say, I'm going to be at number two, Place Colette. Yeah. <laughs> so we kind of still do it exactly like they did it way back then. Yeah, I never, I never remember addresses. I'm like next to the the bakery with the blue door. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Like the awning. Um, yeah, it's but it's kind of funny. Grandmont changes into Rue Saint Anne, that was named not for the Saint Anne that was the mother of the Virgin Mary, but for Anne of Austria, she called herself Saint Anne, um, who was the mother of Louis the Fourteenth. Um, that street has what used to be all the best Asian restaurants in Paris. Now there's Asian restaurants. Like there's some, there's a whole street in um, Saint-Germain that has a bunch of, you know, sushi and ramen and everything. But it used to be when I first came to Paris in 2016, if you wanted sushi or something, that was a street to go to. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's really good. Um, when you go on that, right off of that street, uh, to the left is the Rue de Lavoie, who was named for Francois-Michel uh, Tellier de Lavoie, who was a minister under Louis XIV, who opposed Colbert, who was, you know, changing everything on many things, including how the poison affairs were handled. Yeah. Um, there's a beautiful little square there um, inside the square that has the same name, the Square Louvois. It is where the Richelieu Opera House once stood. Um, from 1794 in 1820, it was the site of the stabbing and death of the Duke de Berry, who was the son of Charles X, who um, had the opera house destroyed after his beloved son was killed. Yeah, destroyed. Yeah, he had the whole opera house just taken down to the ground. In 1830, Louis Philippe commissioned Louis um, Visconti to create the fountain for the square. He's also done the tomb of Napoleon. He's done the huge fountain in front of Saint-Sulpice. Um, he created this, this fountain that was built in 1844, and it represents the four major rivers of France, the Seine, the Garonne, the Loire, and the Seine, um, with each one of them has an allegory standing over the signs of the Zodiac. It's a really pretty, um, really, really pretty fountain. And it's kind of one of those neighborhood, you know, it's smaller and there's always children playing in there or people just sitting in there reading because yes. it's just kind of, you know, it's not, it's, you know, it's, we're far from the Tuileries and those places. Um, but it's a really pretty one. Um, just around the corner, number 12, Rue Chabonnet was the Chabonnet brothel that was open from 1878 to 1946. Madame Kelly and Alexander uh, Alexandra Jonet ruled the street and decorated each room with a different theme in this brothel. There was a Japanese theme, a Hindu theme, Louis the Fifteenth, and Pompeii, as well as a large custom-made copper tub that was created for Edward the Seventh of England. Very cool. I know, and I think this is like I mean, I I think the uh, coronation of King Charles is just this weekend. Yeah. Um, he, Edward VII, I might have mentioned him before in a podcast. He was known as Dirty Birdie. Uh-oh. Birdie had a custom chair created when he became older. Um, when he, before he was named King, he came to Paris all the time, just sowing his wild seed uh-huh. seeds. And uh, he, over time, got to be a very large gentleman. Uh, when he became a bit too big to maneuver through relations, shall we say, he <laughs> had somebody make him this special chair. And I will put a picture of, this, of the chair on my website. 
and it is um it's difficult to even figure out unless <laughs> you just figure it out on your own but basically he could be pleasured by two women huh? by the use of this chair it looks a little something like something you maybe would see at the gynecologist or at the dentist's office oh. one of the two <laughs> <laughs> but i don't know where the chair is today i've seen photos of it um but i'm not sure maybe it's in a museum in england mm-hmm. um the Rue de Richelieu, which is just right around the corner, was, of course, named for the cardinal, the arch nemesis of Marie de Medici, who controlled the court of Louis Thirteenth. The street runs to the Louvre and has been and seen at number 92, was once the very first bakery opened by Auguste Zhang that served croissants oh, nice. that came from Austria. Love that. Yeah. At number 56 on the corner of Richelieu and Petit Champ is the oldest building of that area that dates back to 1655. So that building would have seen the cardinals and the kings come strolling by. At number 50, um, a young Madame de Pompadour, who we love, and the future love of Louis XV grew up. And just down the street at number 40, Moliere, who died 350 years ago um, this year on February 17, 1673, the building that stands there dates to 1769, but a plaque marks a spot that that's where the great playwright lived in his final years. When he um, he was performing at the Comédie Française, which is at the end of the Rue de Richelieu, and he wasn't feeling very well, and he ended up going home. He kind of fainted on stage in his green chair, mm-hmm. and then he went home and then died at his at, in his home just right up the street later that night. Oh, yikes. So there's a plaque on that, but if you turn around, there is a beautifully restored statue of him. It's the Place Muriel, is the the fountain of Moliere, also designed by Louis Visconti. Um, he instructed artist Bernard Gabriel Surier for the bronze Moliere that's sitting in his signature chair on stage at the Comédie Française. If you go into the Comédie Française, if you um, do a special tour, which I think they do maybe once a month, or at least they used to years ago, or you go that weekend in September, they have that chair. It's still there, and it's in a glass case. Oh, that's crazy. Yeah, it's really cool. And because it was green, that is, there is still a... Um, that's still something, you know, how, like when they tell that you're not supposed to say good luck to actors on stage. That's why you're supposed to say break a leg, Mm -hmm. but because of Moliere's green, green, uh, chair actors think it's bad luck to wear green on stage. Really? Still to this day. Still. Yeah. It's, it's, I mean, it's kind of crazy because that's 350 years ago. Yeah. Get over (laughs) Yeah. Um, the statue, uh, the fountain that is there has two allegories below. Um, serious comedy is one. And then um, the more of like the epic poetry comedy is there. Those are done by Jacques, Jacques, uh, Jean-Jacques Pradier. Each of them is holding a parliament that has a long list of all of the um, writings of the playwright, which is pretty neat. And I saw... Um, years ago it was actually on easter and um it's the one that he is like the imaginary uh what is it called the imaginary like the imaginary illness and that's what he was actually perform he was he was a writer but he was actually performing on stage and it's basically this guy that is like a hypochondriac and then he um it's a whole thing it was it's it's really funny and i knew enough about the 
the play and what the story was because it was in French. And this was like five years ago before I really knew any French. Yeah. Um, but it had Daniel Otier, who is a major, amazing French actor. So I went to go see it in there. And all I could think of was um, Moliere. But it was actually, if you have a chance to see one of his plays here in Paris, they had a whole thing for this last year because it was the anniversary of his birth um, in 2022. And then this year's the anniversary of his death. And uh, so they've had that in all of the theaters in Paris, all these different events uh, about him, which is kind of cool and redoing. And he is like, you could still find his plays on a stage every single day somewhere in France. Yeah, it's really neat. Um, Just past that at number 26 is where Rose Bertin lived. We talked about her because she was the one who was kind of the first major fashion designer that became a big deal. And she was the one that um, Marie Antoinette was her number one client. She was just there at the Passage Potier, which I just was by there last night. And it's the pass, the passage is, has been closed and locked unless you live in there. Mm -hmm. Um, But it used to be able to go right in there and there was a little store and that was used to be where her store was. And she used to live right above it. Ah, interesting. Yeah, but the Rue de Richelieu, that little area has got all sorts of endless um, kind of cool little things, some gorgeous doors. There's this one door that's like red lacquer. Um, it's just beautiful. Uh, and it's just in the Ellsworth restaurant is there, which is fantastic. Um, it's kind of the little sister to the Verjou restaurant, which after about five years of that being closed, they just announced it's reopening in May. Um, and they also do in the Palais Royale, they do this really cool special dinner called the 22 Club, which I just went to last night. Um, and it's this whole menu that they have. Um, they bought a farm in 2020 just before COVID started, but it kind of worked out for them. And they everything, um, pretty much everything on the menu is something that they grow or they get, you know, the chickens from the neighbor um the the hen eggs that they have all on their property and it is it's really cool and amazing and the verju restaurant that opens may 9th is going to do kind of the same thing that they do in the special dinner club oh nice oh that sounds fun yeah it's really really good we'll have to go yeah yeah well guys thanks for tuning in today and make sure you check out claudinehemingway.com for more information to book her as a tour guide And tune in next week for our next episode. Thanks for listening today, guys. If you're interested in learning more about Claudine, her tours, history, and the beautiful photographs that she posts all over Instagram, tune into her website, claudinehemingway.com.